Greetings, Ray's audience. Coming in live from Ennis, Montana, as we continue our family's RV adventure, I am thrilled to welcome Rob Humphrey from LinkedIn today to the, the podcast. Rob is one of the longest tenured and most recognized sales professionals at LinkedIn, and he's also the founder of the Ithaca College Mountain Biking Club. Welcome to the show, Rob. I'm so glad you read my profile in its entirety and saw that little gem that is a, it's just a crystal gem on my profile. Thanks for having me on the Rays podcast. So excited. So Rob, uh, we're going to get into your career at LinkedIn, which now spans, if I'm not mistaken, 10 years. You joined in March of 2010, which was actually the exact month that I was founding Evertrue and registering our first LLC in Delaware. So uh, so it's, it's been fun to be on that journey, uh, especially with our intersection points with LinkedIn along the way. But before we get into that, I want to go back to Rob Humphrey, sophomore at Ithaca College, who decided to start mountain biking. What was it like getting to, uh, to Ithaca College? I'm always curious to know about uh, people's college journeys, and I know you spend so much time with college students. Um, I don't know how often you tell your own story. Not often, and I appreciate you asking. So the sophomore year in Ithaca College, go Bombers, in uh, upstate New York. Um, yeah, thank God we don't have or did not have uh, video and TikTok and all this stuff back then because that would have been an interesting uh, look back right now. But it was exciting times, and, um, you know, um, I – I, I, I did what I had to do, got through college, uh, also had a ton of fun there. And um, also, yeah, did start the mountain biking club because I realized that the school would actually pay me to drive the van around and pack it with a bunch of people and a bunch of bikes and a keg. So um, got away with that for a couple of years and uh, helped to finance my interest in being in the woods and, and of course, drinking beer. Well, you've always had entrepreneurial side hustles, and so it's good to see that it, it harkens all the way back to your time at Ithaca College. And my understanding is that uh, prior to joining LinkedIn, you were in the recruiting space and in, in the startup space in general, and, and I think you were in the Boston area, actually, with one of Evertrue's investors, Aran Agozi, at one point, working on a little project called Rock Band, if I'm not mistaken. But what was the wow, that dude, led you I uh, there? Yeah. Brent, wow. I mean, I got to say, like, you know, I've done a couple podcasts lately and it's kind of interesting because I've got, you know, people kind of do their homework, but that is tight. So I got to tell you a story about this. I'm in North Carolina, actually. Uh, this is like before I came to LinkedIn and I was recruiting game developers. I was I'm a recovering recruiter and staffing director, did that for like over a decade and uh, really enjoyed that. But I was hiring game developers for a company, um, uh, Emergent Game Technologies. And what happened is Aran Agazi's team had called me and said, hey, like, saw your LinkedIn profile that you really know how to find artists and engineers. And we're building this new version of Rock Band, Rock Band 2. And at the time, I, I was like literally in sort of a career flux. So getting that phone call was amazing. Um, first I was like, who's harmonics? And then I'm like, Oh, rock band and Arana Ghazi, who's amazing. One of the most fascinating people I've ever met. Um, and it was a highlight of my career to, to work there as a, as a consultant, helping to hire the vast majority of people that made rock band. I'm actually on the game credits 
if you still have the game or or um or you have uh, heard of the game well i've known you for a long time i've always kind of wanted to ask you about that and so i'll make sure to share that clip with with iran in our next uh investor update but of course is it fair to say then that you basically were kind of at the forefront of being a consumer of some of the new social recruiting platforms like LinkedIn. So you're using LinkedIn, you're probably an early adopter of some of their new tools as they started to monetize their network. And then ultimately you kind of joined them. Is that, is that right? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. So um, interestingly enough, I was offered a job the first time at LinkedIn in like 2007. This is right before I started working at Harmonic. So it was interesting um, because those were early days and I you know, wish I had taken that job offer earlier. But anyway, so I, I, I was at in Boston for a while as a headhunter. I worked at Robert Half on Summer Street. I'd go down to Bon Santee and get my ice cream at lunch and you know, I hired a lot of IT people and I was actually, when I migrated down to North Carolina, uh, that was for my first venture back startup called Career Cowboy, which was an online recruiting company. And we were one of the first to use, I think I was one of the first people to use LinkedIn Recruiter, both uh, there and then at Harmonix. And um, it was the flagship, is the flagship product for the talent solutions business. And I hammered on it pretty hard and then, then ended up at LinkedIn. And so you join LinkedIn uh, as an account executive, which is code word for sales. Yes. And I read uh, one of your, uh, you don't mince words, but you wrote, you're an annual quota busting sales leader that was hired to get shit done. That's it. That's all. I transformed the traditional thinking about the sales relationship, pioneered social selling strategies, uh, et cetera. When you think about what that means and what your experience was having been a recruiter where you're basically doing outbound outreach, cold outreach constantly. And then as you started to sort of see the shift to more of the social recruiting experience and then start to apply some of those same principles in a social selling context, what was it like? I mean, cause this is pre IPO for LinkedIn, right? Um, and a lot of people probably, you know, who are listening didn't even have, profiles at that time. <laughs> yeah. So um, definitely not, you know, when, it, when I, when I joined there, I joined a very small team. There's only a couple hundred people in the company, you know, a small sort of um, really hardcore sales team that, you know, we're, people were hanging up the phone on us basically. I mean, maybe I'm being extreme, but you know, we would call recruiters and, you know, um, they'd be like LinkedIn, like, what do I need that for? You know, I've got uh, monster.com. I don't know if they even exist anymore, but I've got all these resume files. So listen, I've seen the whole ev evolution of that whole world where, you know, I started with index cards and my first database was, uh, you know, a Amber screen Vax VMS like database. So super old school stuff. Um, you know, I started recruiting when I was five. So, you know, Selling at LinkedIn in the earlier days um, was very, very difficult because people were like, I don't get it. Like, you know, and why would I put my, all my information up there on LinkedIn so people can poach me or whatever. So it was this archaic thinking and we had to, you know, evangelize the idea that there's more to just, you know, um, you know, someone responding to with their resume to, to an ad or, or whatever. So it's really a new era of, 
recruiting essentially that started. I'm going to guess that every single person listening to this episode has a LinkedIn profile as we sit here in 2020. But I would also imagine, given that most of our audience is within the advancement, maybe communications realm, uh, focused on alumni and development work, that there's probably a limited window into the actual business model of LinkedIn. Everybody knows LinkedIn as the place where, you know, the digital resume, the place where we build our, uh, you know, contacts and connect with people. But can you help people understand, you talked about talent solutions, what that means, what those products were, who you sold them to, but then also marketing solutions, sales solutions, and there are probably other solutions I'm not even aware of yet. Um, But just kind of give people a look behind the scenes of how LinkedIn actually makes money. Yeah, it's a great question. So um, it is still a mystery to some people. Um, LinkedIn right now has over 750 million members still growing at a staggering rate of two members per second. By far the most trusted uh, uh, platform for recruiting, but also for hiring, for for marketing and selling. So LinkedIn makes its money three ways, Um, you know, attracting talent, recruiting candidates from the world's largest talent pool. Number two, um, you know, uh, marketing to the world's largest professional audience um, in the most trusted environment. And of course, selling. So powering social selling efforts with our, you know, solutions in that business line as well. So higher market sell, we've got, you know, advertising products and of course, uh, SaaS software products that help uh, recruiters get, get things done and salespeople be more effective. And so as you think about, what that means for the higher ed sector. My understanding is that, you know, let's say halfway through your tenure at LinkedIn, you started out basically as a recruiter, selling recruiting tools to recruiters when you made that initial shift, uh, had great success, were recognized as one of the top sales professionals uh, many quarters in a row. But ultimately at some point you did pivot into this world of higher education at a really interesting time when there were trends like online education and uh, enrollment teams were thinking about how do we how do we reach people, for example, graduate student applicants who we might not be reaching in our traditional uh, manners. And so just tell me a little bit about what it was that uh, got you excited about moving into the higher education realm, because I would imagine, I mean, a lot of people would say, wait a second, you're selling to higher ed? That's like the hardest sector to sell to, um, yet it didn't slow you down or you all saw opportunity. And and has that played out? I mean, was it the hardest sector to sell to, or is that a misconception? I think it was, I, I know it was pretty difficult in the earlier times to sell, um, you know, lead generation or demand generation to schools, primarily, you know, um, customers in higher ed, you know, MBAs, master's level stuff. Um, you know, in 2000 and 15, when I joined the marketing solutions vertical, specifically the newly created education team at LinkedIn, you know, there were, you know, there were not a lot of customers, right? Now we have uh, almost a thousand higher ed customers around the world. um, And the higher education vertical is the fastest growing uh, vertical in marketing solutions at LinkedIn, which is the fastest growing business. So things have definitely changed. Um, you know, people in education at, at really at all levels have realized that there's, there's three really amazing components to LinkedIn. One is, you know, of course, marketing and 
both organic and paid marketing to, to get the exact type of audience you're looking for that's in market for degree programs, short courses, uh, you know, certificates, that type of thing. It's a huge, huge business. Um, and we have really sort of high quality success there. Uh, but also there's two other sort of vectors, you know, students, of course, like students should absolutely and unilaterally harness LinkedIn early on in their college career, not waiting for the email from career services two weeks before they're going to graduate. Um, those days are over and the pandemic has solidified that. Um, and then thirdly, um, you know, everybody else in schools, you know, in particularly any kind of connectivity with alumni, any kind of um, interest in building a community of recent and uh, recent graduates. Those are the areas of focus right now with the advent or sort of the reinvention of our group's product and our community focus. So I know it's a lot, um, but those are the three areas that, you know, schools can really harness and have been, you know, leveraging LinkedIn for several years now. Let's talk about point number one, which has really become the, the bread and butter offering for the education vertical to this sector. And really, you all have done great work. There's plenty of content out there just about the enrollment funnel, right? How do we build awareness? How do we, well, first and foremost, how do we target the audiences that we really want to have awareness about our specific degree or our specific institution? How do we engage them? How do we uh, basically generate the lead? How do we nurture the lead? And ultimately, how do we generate tuition revenue? I mean, I imagine that's basically the, the ROI pitch is you can put $1 into LinkedIn marketing solutions. And based on our evidence, we can generate some multiple of that in new enrollment dollars, or we can help you uh, engage uh, difficult to engage audiences. For example, if you're trying to diversify uh, your, your student body population. But when you think about just that traditional enrollment funnel on LinkedIn and some of the case studies that you are proudest of that just represent kind of the middle of the plate bread and butter example that everybody listening should understand what comes to mind. Yeah. So there's a lot of different examples in, in marketers at schools. There's, there's sort of two varieties of, of them. In my opinion, there's the folks that want to do it themselves and they're figuring that out at a, at a you know, a crazy pace. Um, schools like uh, USC, where there's this fella, uh, Greg Vigil and Jessica Jantz, they basically started a uh, master's level programs for, for HR and um, um, other, other areas from scratch and started a marketing engine that rivals the most elite agency or expertise that's out there. So the message is there's a lot of folks in schools that are, you know, launching online versions of programs or have, and they've been super successful with the platform from the vantage point of uh, marketing to a very specific set of folks that, you know, not only are, you know, in market for these types of programs, but um, have a high level of resiliency, both, you know, financial and otherwise, and um, are generally just a higher quality sort of throughput in the marketing funnel versus, other more social platforms, for example. So, so that's an example of the kind of targeting that they have done. It doesn't have to be a, a real example, but just illustrative of what are the parameters that they can set? Because one of the great, I mean, look, we all are still, uh, you know, you're in an airport or you're driving on the road. There are still a lot of billboards talking about XYZ University and their new ABC online degree program why is the billboard not the right way 
when you could have something as precision targeted as LinkedIn. Yeah, I see the billboards too. And I, and in, or I see like, even I'm out here in Colorado right now. Um, you know, I'll see like on the train or whatever, you know, like uh, billboards and that type of thing. I think it's hilarious. I, I think it's funny that you would think that, um, you know, I'm going to drive by and see your, you know, your billboard and what am I going to do? I'm going to like remember that so well that when I pull over to use the rest stop, I'm going to like go to the website or something. Like I, I don't, I, I don't really get it. I got to be straightforward with you. Um, I think it's a lost cause. There are, you know, every second, two new potential leads uh, joining LinkedIn that are likely in the sort of uh, sphere of influence that you want to be in. So you can do things that are quite granular. For example, um, build a very targeted list of people based on, you know, where they are in their career. For example, if someone's maybe a manager and they're aspiring to become a senior manager or a director, which seems to be a common, you know, sort of, uh, goal for people. Well, you can target those people. And based on the fact that LinkedIn, you know, essentially uh, the largest longitudinal, um, you know, visualization of career outcomes in the world, you can actually track the experience of these people once they become a lead, enroll in your program. And then what happens after? We've actually done a number of these studies with customers uh, from from UNC to ASU to to a, a bunch of schools in between and even a lot of OPMs where we find that the outcomes are pretty amazing, especially when you compare things like an online program to an offline program. You'll find that people are actually in some circumstances more mobile uh, from a seniority vantage point in their company after uh, they've completed these programs. It's a long-winded way, Brent, of saying like billboards. Um, I mean, come on. Um, let's focus in on the people that are on the platform that are a- active and that are they're interested in moving themselves forward in their career uh, or pivoting, uh, which is a very common thing right now, to another uh, mode, career or whatever in an effort to get paid and, and be happy. And that's the place you want to be, uh, especially now and, of course, you know, forward going during, uh, during the pandemic. But the journey could be, uh, and I think there are kind of four product units that I see as part of marketing solutions, and, and maybe there are others I should be aware of, but there's sponsored content, sponsored messaging, text ads, and dynamic ads. And if we, you know, without going too deep into any of those, anybody can go to, you know, Google LinkedIn marketing solutions. You can, you can read more about all of this, but really the, the kind of journey would be first and foremost, USC decides uh, what program it is, the demographics that they'd be targeting. You all might be able to help guide them uh, based on your expertise but then you ultimately need to tell a story. And it sounds like they've created not just a new degree type and a commitment to using tools like LinkedIn. They've created some pretty powerful narratives or storytelling to capture the attention of somebody on the platform. But the idea would basically be pick your target audience, tell the story, put out the ads, have people who uh, are interested, click on the ads, fill out some kind of lead form or some other way to uh, basically share their information. And then at that point, is it basically up to the USC enrollment team to do the kind of personalized outreach or kind of where does the, the marketing funnel hand off to the sales funnel, if you will, in the USC, in the USC example? 
Well, I'm going to back off the USC example and just more generally say that, Great. you know, there's a, there's a normal sort of handoff to in, some enrollment counselor or some person that's, you know, um, and their job is to get you to convert, right? It's marketing. So they want you to convert into a student. However, I think the trend is pretty clear. If you look at, um, there's a lot of people that are doing this well. Um, I always like to mention SNHU up in there in New Hampshire. I think they do a great job of this, but having enrollment people that sales people essentially um, focus on people's career trajectory and really try to make sure the match is, you know, correct for them versus the alternative, which also exists where, you know, you fill out a lead form, let's say for XYZ university and 10 minutes later, you have someone calling you, they have no idea who you are. They only have the two pieces of information in the lead form. And they're talking to you about a $50,000 degree program um, or more, you know, and some of these MBAs, as you know, are maybe they're 140 grand. Um, So, you know, the message here is, there is a funnel. There is a decision-making trajectory of which most of it is done online. And most of it is uh, not done by simply searching or spending time on social platforms, but rather doing homework uh, around the topic of, well, who's the faculty and staff? What are they teaching? How are they teaching? Two, who are the alumni? Have they been successful? What's the ROI? And those are the questions people have during this phase. And, you know, for degree programs, for a MBA as an example, the decision-making process is sometimes a year long. So if you're not involved, you know, just getting a lead is not enough. If you're not involved in sort of telling your story or, um, or encouraging and showing the evidence around those topics I mentioned, ROI, staff, faculty, and alumni success, then you're, you're just wasting your, your energy. You need to have a, a full throttle, a full throttle sort of, you know, story to tell um, as people are, kind of creating a short list of, of where they're going to go or what they're going to do in terms of furthering their education. You've referenced alumni success uh, a couple of times, and I think now would be a great time to shift to that part of the conversation. Um, when we started at Evertrue, we, we saw the shift happening, which was the idea that people are going to update their alumni directory profile when they switch jobs or move. It was already uh, becoming more and more difficult for institutions to um, to be really the, the system of record, if you will, around all things career. It was clear at that time that LinkedIn was trending in that direction. And now we would argue, you know, it's unequivocal that that is going to be the system of record around career outcomes for the foreseeable future. And at the same time, there are still institutions that are hoping alumni will think to log into the online community and update their profile, or maybe now you can sync your profile with LinkedIn, but, but how do you think about just the, um, the opportunity for alumni and development shops to harness LinkedIn? Uh, obviously, you're not spending your days marketing to that audience directly from a revenue perspective, because enrollment has really been, it seems like, the sweet spot for your EDU vertical. Um, but at the same time, I know you're often contacted or you're speaking on campus and you're speaking to students about the opportunity to connect with, with alumni. Um, so I guess what's your perspective on, on the potential for LinkedIn within the alumni realm? Well, I mean, a lot of folks are realizing the potential now uh, of the connectivity that exists. I mean, you mentioned the alumni database. Listen, 
when's the last time you went and filled out your alumni database profile? Like probably never alumni departments. And I would contend that maybe development or advancement are, are, are sort of, uh, they're obviously needing to pivot now, but they're spending a lot of time and like having the data, the data already exists. Um, you know, you know, you could look at any school or any alumni page on LinkedIn and, and find exactly what your need is. The vast majority, vast, large percentage of your alumni are on there. So, you know, I think what I'm hearing, and, and I do spend a lot of times on this topic, Brent, you know, I, yes, I'm a, I'm a salesperson, but I look at higher ed, I look at the whole, um, you know, f- function of higher ed. And I think with alumni in particular, uh, people want to create a community. They want to create engagement. I use that sort of loosely because I think they, no one really knows what they want from that. You know, what you really want is you want to get alumni to help other people uh, in your cohort or in, that are graduating from your school to get jobs. And you want alumni to help them get the jobs, right? You want mentorship and you want money. But the dilemma there is you have a lot of advancement people or alumni shops, as you say, and, you know, here's what they do. They send out the postcard or the mail. I get it from Ithaca College. They know, they know this and it says, hey, Rob, you know, you're, we'd love for you to spend, give us 20 bucks or 40 bucks. And I, I, I want to write them back a letter and just be like, okay, well, I'm good for probably 50 bucks. Like all you had to do is understand my career a little bit better and use those, those inputs or those signals to, you know, ask me for more money or make it more of a rich experience. So listen, I think that um, everybody in higher ed, um, you know, silos aside have a really lot of, a lot of potential leverage with LinkedIn in terms of building a community that's actually useful uh, for the constituency, that being alumni and recent grads and even students. And no one's really figured that out, um, but it's a really interesting topic to, to, to think about. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of areas that uh, we're spending a tremendous amount of time uh, recognizing that, or not recognizing, we all recognize that LinkedIn is the source of truth as it relates to career outcomes for the vast majority of constituents. And we are doing lots of works through new um, offerings that we've developed to try to better connect those career changes, career moves. As people get promoted and advance through the career, that data is not getting back to alumni databases. If it gets back there, we can then engage those people as mentors, as potential hiring partners for our students, and certainly as donors. And so we're going to continue to try to sit at the intersection of traditional database systems and platforms like LinkedIn. But at the same time, there are some very low-hanging fruit activities that, um, that we just don't see alumni shops uh, targeting. And so one example I'd love to just get your perspective on is the idea of sponsored in-mail. Like I think sponsored in-mail, when we hear all the time, we can't keep our alumni email addresses up to date, or we can't, you know, contact people. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit about sponsored in-mail? And if you put yourself in the, in the shoes of, let's say the Ithaca College alumni relations shop, and you were going to do one test of sponsored in-mail, what is an example that might be worth trying that anybody listening could test out? Yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up and uh, queuing that up. I mean, listen, sponsored content um, and sponsored messaging are blockbuster products um, and they're secret weapons for alumni advancement and, uh, you know, enrollment folks. The messaging capability, you know, kind of comparing this to, to email is, is a stark difference. First off, messaging on LinkedIn, paid messaging, right, where you're targeting a group of people, 
um, at a very low cost and you're sending them a message. The, deliver, the delivery rate is 100%. It's always delivered. Um, so people are very active on LinkedIn. We've seen a marked increase, of course, uh, during this time since March in, um, in people on the platform and, and how much time they're spending on the platform. So the deliverability, number one, is key. Number two is we see open rates that are significantly uh, higher than email, dwarfing email by 20, 30 times. Um, so it's a dynamic way to get a message to someone that is on platform at that particular point or on the mobile device at that particular point. And your message can be, uh, one that's very succinct. A lot of customers are doing things like webinars, uh, alumni events. They're doing, uh, you know, uh, virtual tours of their campus, all types of messages that they want to get out with very clear calls to action. So think of messaging, sponsor messaging is like the silver bullet that's replacing, um, you know, archaic email marketing uh, strategies. And, and, then, and I think what's one thing, if I can comment, is you have marketers using that kind of tool to raise awareness for people that really might have no brand affiliation at all with that marketer's organization. Meanwhile, we have educational institutions where there's massive brand affinity who aren't using those tools. And so uh, every uh, institution we work with right now has been doing the alumni Zoom or the fireside chat with the president, we're all getting those emails and those invitations. I would just encourage anybody to test. You can go to create sponsored, you know, just Google sponsored email LinkedIn. You can go through and in seconds have an ability to complement whatever direct marketing you're already doing, whether it's a postcard or, uh, or an email invitation and just add additional messaging um, through LinkedIn. Test it. If it doesn't work, you don't have to keep doing it. But I think um, it's probably one of the, the easiest tools that is the most underused on the advancement side of the, the house. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, to, to give a little plug to our, you know, product team, we actually have been innovating more than I've ever seen at LinkedIn in my, you know, decade plus being here. And one of the most exciting features that exists right now uh, with respect to driving student enrollment and alumni engagement is our newest ad format, which is conversation ads. And this is really a super dynamic, highly engaging conversation that helps you achieve your goals. I mean, um, there's a lot of higher education customers right now that are harnessing this particular product. And it's, it's basically a super smooth way to, um, you know, literally start a conversation based on an existing decision tree. And it's, it's, it's going to be a blockbuster product. Keep an eye on that. Will do. Um, Rob, outside of your core day-to-day -day with LinkedIn, uh, you know, ultimately in a, in a revenue-generating role at LinkedIn, uh, you've also done a great job, I think, practicing what you all preach and trying to build your own persona and your own brand by adding value to your audience. And you've been pretty entrepreneurial at LinkedIn. And I'd love for you to share just a little bit about um, the things that you've done to really um, just create value for the student community, things like your Unlock LinkedIn series and, and, and how you've been able to manage that as a side hustle, if you will. It's obviously aligned with, with your work, your expertise. I'm sure it doesn't hurt um, when you're trying to get meetings with college presidents or chief marketing officers, but, um, but you do it with a real passion toward serving the student community. And just tell me a little bit about what prompted you to launch that series and any 
um, reflections you've had so far. And obviously, uh, you started it, I, I believe, pre-pandemic. And so just kind of what your perspective has been on the student journey uh, as they face one of the most challenging job markets in history. Yeah, Brent. I mean, listen, my, my true passion is um, helping students succeed. And that's really what my main like mission in, in life is. Um, the, my sales job is my primary job and uh, I'm pretty good at that, but I do spend a, a significant time on educating students. You know, I've done talks to some, I don't know, 40,000 students in my tenure at, at LinkedIn. And um, by a year or actually two years ago, maybe a little bit more, I started a series called Get Hired, which, you know, I interviewed students essentially. And uh, the, the format, you know, this is on YouTube in the video world, but, um, you know, the format is essentially like talking to students and, and motivating them and giving them some tips about LinkedIn Live. Now, um, you know, pre-pandemic, I, 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 or just around the pandemic, I launched Unlock LinkedIn, which is a weekly series from my profile. And, um, you know, I do a live stream on LinkedIn with that uh, virtual event product and essentially talk to um, an expert, uh, either from an employer or someone from LinkedIn or someone that's a student. Recently, I've had a number of freshmen in college on talking about, you know, of course, COVID and how they're coping and how they're you know, thriving uh, in this kind of a world. So I love doing it. Um, there's a growing audience of people uh, that is, are interested in tuning into this. And um, it's been just an invigorating creative pursuit that's helped um, a lot of folks. And, you know, my, my philosophy is if I could just help one kid, like, you know, kind of realign to their path or make a good decision or not freak out about not having a job, then, then you know, mission completed. I really, uh, I really enjoy uh, helping out that way. And if people who are listening want to follow along with Unlock LinkedIn, they certainly can find uh, Get Hired on YouTube. But what's the best way for people to follow you, Rob? Yeah, so I would say follow follow my profile, Rob Humphrey on LinkedIn. Just give me a uh, give me a follow there. I think that's the best way to keep track of my uh, my uh, antics. Uh, and so, I guess from a uh, from a vertical perspective, I would imagine that this year has been extra busy for you all, as you had been championing more of a digital enrollment funnel but we had still historically relied on things like career fairs or, you know, offline activities to generate student interest and so forth. Campus tours, all of that is basically on hold at most institutions right now. Has that created tailwinds for um, the EDU vertical at LinkedIn, recognizing that there are obviously budget challenges in the higher ed sector as well? I mean, how are you feeling about your place in the market on balance as we are kind of mid-pandemic? Um, the, the, the business is really on fire. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, um, advertisers and just higher ed in general, just learning in particular that, um, wants to hire, uh, wants to harness LinkedIn. And it's, so it's been, it's been tremendous. I mean, listen, folks are needing to pivot. Uh, they're trying to figure out how to actually do online, especially at the undergraduate level. Like, how do you do that uh, effectively? How do you build these experiences? And then, for sure, when it comes to sort of the uh, holy grail of like outcomes, schools are focused on trying to figure out what to do with regard to helping students. I don't think virtual career fairs are the answer. Um, I think that's a long shot. You might as well buy a lottery ticket. 
Um, and I don't think that the traditional stuff that's going to be created and like put online uh, is going to work. So to be effective uh, with regard to outcomes, it's going to be a new world of um, you know, engagement and it's going to be uh, digital completely. Well, it's amazing. Uh, after 10 years, uh, you know, all of the pivots and evolution, um, but it seems like you found a really strong niche at the intersection of social selling, social recruitment, student outcomes. And, you know, I'm hopeful that we can continue to really innovate on the advancement side, uh, recognizing that it just, it just feels like there's, there's more room to go on that side of the house relative to enrollment where, you know, the cycle's just different, right? Like you can run an ad campaign, get a bunch of people who are engaged with the brand, get them as MBA students. And that's a million dollars of revenue that you can point to in a 12 month cycle. And I think one of the challenges on the advancement side is we're talking about 50 year plus donor relationships. It is not going to be as much of a quick hit, if you will, or a quick win. Um, and so the question is, how do we start thinking about long-term investments in digital strategies? You know, who is the USC equivalent of the internal agency for advancement, recognizing that the payoff is going to be over generations versus, you know, a, a typical enrollment cycle? Yeah, it's not a good time to be short-sighted. Um, I think that, um, you know, people are looking for they're looking for a way to maintain their trajectory and get paid and, you know, hopefully sort of make things happen. So I think it's a, listen, I think it's a new world. You guys are pioneering a lot of this stuff, of course, which is fascinating. Um, I think how you have relationships with, you know, potential donors or potential, you know, alumni that can help the cause, so to speak. Um, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be predicated on, uh, you know, like, like a lot of laser focusing type, uh, activities. Um, and that's, that's modern marketing. Okay, Rob, as we conclude today, um, I would like to ask, do you have any advice for me and my team at Evertrue, having been on your own entrepreneurial journeys, uh, and also having expertise in the same EDU vertical, what advice do you have for, for us? That's a great question. I mean, I consider you a mentor, Brent, so I appreciate you asking me that. Um, I don't know how helpful I can be, but I think that you, know, you, you have met a lot of your team. So um, you have a super impressive team. I'm, I'm not surprised other Ron and other people are supporting you and backing you. Um, so I think that like just continuing to evangelize this new way of, of um, connecting with uh, the constituencies that people are after alumni, you know, donors, whatever. I mean, I think it's actually people want to hear from their school. Like, listen, I talk about Ithaca college all the time, you know, um, and it really makes a huge difference. That sort of affinity, that kind of connection, uh, people want to be connected to their school. They just don't want to hear like every once in a while, like I need money or I need this. They want to have a, you know, a two way street. They want to see what's in it for them as well. I think you guys are on that path and you should continue to evangelize that philosophy with, uh, with cutting edge schools because uh, without that schools are going to be finding themselves in a, a way behind the curve more than they ever have before. No, Rob, one of the things that we've been working on really pre pandemic, but it's been accelerated during the pandemic is essentially helping institutions architect new roles that honestly look a, a lot more like, your uh, 
recruiter role probably looked in 2008 or 2009. I think historically yeah. uh, fundraising shops have either had major gift officers working the really, really top one or 2% of the constituency. And then they've had to reach everybody else through more, frankly, impersonal mass marketing efforts. Maybe it's a phone-a-thon calling you at night or it's the, you know, alumni magazine or it's, or it's the direct mail that you get. And we just feel like when you start to take more of an inside sales type approach or in, you know, customer success type approach, there, there's no reason somebody at Ithaca College can't be engaged with you on a one-to-one -one basis. Doesn't mean they have to fly out to Colorado or fly to North Carolina and buy you dinner and take you golfing, yeah. but there should be an opportunity for them to engage you, really get to know you the same way that I'm sure you got to know game developers in 2008 and maintain those relationships over time. And so that is not really a, a technology solution, but more of how do we re-architect an org chart to look more like LinkedIn sales team, as opposed to kind of really old school, you know, field work on one side and mass marketing for everybody else. And so I'm curious to get your take on just, you referenced donor experience before, and that's something we talk about constantly, but yeah. maybe if I were to say to you, like thinking about your career, and not to put Ithaca College on the spot, but I, I think it's probably reflective of what many people experience. Like when you think about how you have been engaged and how you would have liked to have been engaged or how you would have thought about it with a social selling, social engagement perspective, yeah. what does that maybe before and after look like? And you can you know share some closing thoughts as we think about the future of the advancement org chart. It's great. And it's cool to put Ithaca College on the spot. You know, the more we mention Ithaca College, the more people will have that in their brain. So, and they should, it's a great school. It's a great experience. So, you know, retrospectively. How, so how, yeah, how have you been engaged and how would you have liked to have been engaged knowing what you know now about yeah. the buyer journey, the customer journey? So listen, I, I'm, I'm, I'm heavily, I'm not heavily, I'm, I'm, I'm engaged with the school, like on a lot of different aspects. And of course, you know, I, I um, have some connectivity, but, but that's, that's actually relatively renewed. So when I started in, uh, you know, five years ago in the marketing solutions business, I, I hadn't been to Ithaca College in 20 years. I hadn't been like really in, in, you know, connected to school in any way. And so, yeah, obviously, you know, I'm an EDU marketing. I have vested interest in sort of talking to schools and all that. But what I found interesting is I all of a sudden started to see like more connectivity with me, people reaching out. Uh, even even like right around when I joined the, the the EDU team around like hey there's this event happening or uh, now there's a lot of virtual events happening and you know they're doing a great job there of like trying to reach out to me and trying to understand like where I am in my you know in my career and for that matter where other students and alumni are at so this is a really different this is like sort of a different um, trend that's occurring which is great and I wish like back in the day two things that occurred one. I really understood the sort of menu of opportunities or services. Like, listen, career service is a perfect example. It's, it's super unloved and useless in many places, but um, a lot of times it's not. It's super effective, and, but you just don't know about it. They're spending all their time marketing that function um, when um, I wish I had known more about it and some of the awesome people that, that work in that field. Um, number two is just generally like, alumni connectivity like while you're in school like how do, how can you harness that um while you're in school it makes a lot of sense right so those two things are things that you know i wish i didn't know more about uh, in terms of what's what's available and i'm starting to see 
um, occur with forward thinking schools. Um, they're, they're thinking about ways to stay connected with um, a group of people that have a strong affiliation with the brand and want to know how they can leverage uh, and connect with other alumni and students. Love it. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, we think that there are these inflection points where, you, you know, when you think one of the challenges for alumni uh, organizations that we talk about a lot is their persona that they have to serve is everyone. It's old, it's young, it's rich, it's poor, it's domestic, it's global. And so unlike uh, many of the marketers you work with who are honing in on this super precise audience, which is why LinkedIn can be so powerful, when the audience is basically everybody between the ages of 20 and 90 who have, you know, who, who have studied at Ithaca College, that can be a little bit overwhelming. But we do feel like, you know, what do people need at different uh, buckets of their, uh, or in different phases of their journey? You know, early on, it's early career support, right? How can the institution be more proactive in helping you get settled in that new city, in helping you get connected to local alumni, and recognizing that no matter how many self-service tools you create, uh, sometimes people need that nudge. They need that human connection, which is the same reason, you know, there are a lot of marketers who could just go to LinkedIn's website and start creating ads, but sometimes they need to talk to you or one of your colleagues first. And it's like, how do we create that, that human nudge on those inflection points so that by the time it comes, you know, by the time we get around to really asking somebody for money, um, that donor, that prospective donor, can really clearly understand the value that was created, not just in, in getting their degree in the college experience, but throughout the whole life cycle. And, and I think that's where social selling and a lot of the techniques and tools that LinkedIn uh, has pioneered uh, just are at the very early innings of being harnessed in the advancement sector. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And I, I like, I like your, um, I like your, your sort of summarization of, like the, the fact that it is a new, sort of it's a new zone, right? So um, people do want to have those connections. They don't want to just, you know, be asked for something and it's totally possible. It's just, you just need, you don't even need to spend any money. You you just need to have the, the philosophy that you're going to try to make these connections. And um, I think what you're doing is super valuable. Well, I would encourage any listener, follow Rob on LinkedIn. You will see a great example of, uh, authentically sharing uh, his own story in a way that uh, adds value to his community, but also raises awareness and probably helps make it easier for him to, to get meetings with, uh, you know, with key constituencies that he's targeting. And so uh, follow Rob, check out Unlocked uh, LinkedIn, and also just get creative, like Google LinkedIn marketing solutions or go to their talent solutions, sales solutions, understand the portfolio of tools that are out there. They have really taken this core data set, which is your alumni profiles, and have made it possible to reach people in both a one-to-many and one-to-one fashion. And we're hopeful that uh, that data can be better activated to help create access and opportunity for the next generation of, uh, of college students and, and alumni. So Rob, any closing thoughts? Otherwise, thank you so much for, for joining us today. No, I'm glad to be on the podcast. Um, I really appreciate you and uh, can't wait to see what you guys come up with next and um, wish you well. Onward. Thanks, Rob. Be well. <laughs>